Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for watching uh, our program every week at the same time. We are in the number four program of Romans, the eighth chapter. We have, we have uh, already filmed three programs prior to this. If you would like to watch them, uh, they are available to watch on our YouTube channel. Go subscribe to that because you can watch them on demand, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by them. You're welcome to share them with your friends or in your home groups or whatever to do to share these things and talk about them. We are not simply trying to convince you of what we believe alone. We just want you to think for yourself, and so we put it out there to stir up your pure mind. We've been dealing with the eighth chapter of Romans. Like I said, and it's available to watch again on our YouTube channel. Also is available our podcast and an RSS feed for your Android. And uh, you can go to Spotify and get our podcast. You also can go to our website right there. You see it on the screen, and in the upper right-hand corner, there is a place where you can click on an icon and go watch it. And so, so far, we are leaving everything up, at least at this time, for you to watch it. So you can go back and enjoy those. We're on Romans 8. This is the fourth uh, session we have filmed, but I'm going to read this to you this time from the New King James Version. I've been reading from the uh, Message Bible because it's so clear but I'm going to kind of try to bring this to conclusion, possibly, in this segment. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And what we showed you in last week's segment, and the segment before that, is that being in the flesh is not always, I had a bad thought last night, being in the flesh, and I'm going to take a long time to go back, and review that, because I think I've taught it pretty well, that being in the flesh is, Paul said, that when we were under law, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members. And when we, Paul said, you started out in the Spirit, do you think you're going to be made perfect in the flesh? He talked about the Judaizers having a glorying in your flesh because of being circumcised. So one aspect, one aspect of being in the flesh is being under the law. And if you read that, especially in the Message Bible, he talks about being in the flesh as thinking you can do this through your own human strength and effort. Now, under law you can be conformed, but under grace you are transformed. And so he's saying that, and remember that the end of Romans 7, as Paul is being delivered from the roller coaster ride of the religious, when I want to do good, evil is present with me, and what I want to do, that's not what I seem to do. He ends by saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So as he comes on down through here talking about, uh, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's not just talking about my bad thought on Friday night, he's talking about what it means to be in the flesh. And I shared that with you from Galatians 5, not going to go back over it again, but the, the fruit of, or the works of the flesh, or let me say it like this clearly, and you can go back again and review it. But the product of being under law is being in the flesh, is hatred, malice, envy, strife. The, the works of the flesh are a result 
of a person who is under law. And that's what Paul's dilemma was in Romans 7. But in Romans 8, he's talking about being delivered from that fateful dilemma of condemnation and guilt that becomes a roller coaster ride of repetition of success, failure, success, failure, and it's a never-ending struggle. But he goes on to tell us that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. It's not law that makes me free. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's talking about, again, deliverance from the law. For what the law could not do and that it was through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. It's powerful. He condemned sin in the flesh. For what the... uh, for, uh, for the, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. And again, to be carnally minded doesn't mean I had a bad thought on Friday night. That might be some of it. But he's talking about carnally minded is trying to do this through your human ability. And if you read it, especially in the uh, Message Bible, he talks about uh, the law was only a band-aid on sin, but not the deep healing of it. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, your rule-keeping don't get the job done. But you are not in the flesh, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's the answer to Paul's prayer in Romans 7. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God He will. And He who raised Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. Then he said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of sons of God. So the sonship, under the old covenant, Romans 7, you're a servant. In the Romans 8, you're a son. What qualifies you as a son? You're led by Spirit. Those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. What's the contrast? What used to lead you before was rules on rocks. But in the new covenant, as sons of God, we are led not by rules, but we're led by the Spirit of God. Then we're sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, and these are key words here, you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Remember these words, adoption, because we're going to talk about birth pains and travail, and we're going to talk about sonship in this segment. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. 
He's talking about the fear of being under the law. I can remember every time I ever saw somebody go through something bad and horrible, I thought, well, that must be the judgment of God. And every time I turned around, I was waiting on the lightning bolt to hit, or God uh, opened the earth up and swallowed me. He lived in fear, and we lived by fear instead of by faith. We lived out of law instead of living out of love. We lived out of rules instead of living out of a relationship. But we've not received the Spirit uh, a bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, Greek word we athesia, placing of sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, which is a term of endearment. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, then we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And I shared last week how Paul was talking about that the suffering of his present time was not like, okay, my car ain't running right, I've got a bad cold or COVID hit me. He's talking about the suffering that he was enduring was because he was preaching a message that was diametrically opposed to the legalistic system of law and religion of his day. And he was talking about a glorious liberty that was coming. And he was saying that the suffering of that time isn't worthy to be compared. These guys were martyred because they preached the message of the gospel of Christ and His power and His resurrection, and not law and legalism. And they, most of their suffering and persecution was not coming necessarily from the Romans alone, but coming from the rulers of the synagogue and the religious leaders of that day. But he goes on to say, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, watch this, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The glorious liberty is freedom from the law and living in this new spirit-governed life. Standing fast, Galatians 5.1, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. The, it was being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we gro ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption to wit, or the, for the adoption, the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in, in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For we, why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God are all the call according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, those He also called. But whom He called, those He also justified. Whom He justified, those He also glorified. Now let me just tell you again that this adoption to wit, the redemption of the body, is the answer to the prayer that Paul was praying in Romans 7. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? So he's talking about moving from an old covenant paradigm to the new covenant, and he talks about the whole creation is pregnant and groaning and travailing even until now. Now let me just read you my uh, notes on this, and I'll bring you into the Scriptures. It says, note, this is my note, the idea of birth pains can be connected to Matthew 24 where Jesus was talking about the removal of the temple 
and the old covenant system. When he looked at the beautiful buildings of the temple, and he saw all of this system, and he's talking about the collapse and the end of the old covenant age. And the old covenant age was rapidly coming to an end. And they were, and when Jesus began to prophesy concerning this collapse of 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 uh, this old covenant system, he says this. Let me let me find it here. I, I printed it out in my in my notes. Matthew twenty four verses six through eight. It said, "Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places." King James Bible says, "All these things are the beginning of sorrows," but the New King James says, "All these are." beginning of birth pains. In other words, he's talking about the adoption and the birth pains of birth that were coming as this old covenant age was coming to an end. Now, if you've watched any of my eschatology stuff, you will understand that Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to the church at Corinth that they were the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, have now come. The church at Corinth, not us, were at the ends of the ages. They were at the back end of the Old Covenant age and the front end of the New Covenant age, and two ages were overlapping, which most of the New Testament was written during a 40-year transition period that was just like another exodus out of Egypt that, that Paul said everything that happened to them in 1 Corinthians 10 under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have now come. The ends of the ages had not come on us in the 2022. It came upon them during that period from 30 AD to 70 AD. And that, that time of famine, all of the stuff of Matthew 24, Jesus said, would occur before that generation would pass away that was alive and well when He spoke. That's in verse 34 of Matthew 24. All these things will come to pass within this generation. The wars, the famines, they'll deliver you up to be killed. Great tribulation, all of the stuff that many prophecy teachers tell you are in the future, is not in the future. They occurred in the first century, and they were the birth pains where God was giving birth to a new covenant paradigm, and He was about to move us from servants to sons, and an adoption was about ready to take place. Now let me quote you a few other scriptures that are uh, along that same line, because in Galatians, uh, well, I'll wait for Galatians one last. First Thessalonians 5, Paul again, talking to a first century church at Thessalonica. I cannot emphasize enough for you audience relativism. He was not writing to us, he was writing to them in the first century. And he said, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Watch this, as a woman, as travail upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. That travail that came upon them was in the first century. And as a matter of fact, when there were rumors of wars that came and there was an insurrection going on, I believe it was in Rome, the Roman armies uh, backed up just for a short period of time. And for that moment, 
They thought they could cry peace and safety, but sudden destruction came upon them as a woman in travail. God was giving birth to something new, a new covenant, a new day, a new Jerusalem, a new spirit, uh, mercies that are new every morning, a new creation. God was giving something new, and the birth pains that were on them was the travail of that time that Paul was saying, I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed. Because the glory that was about to be revealed was this glorious liberty. Glorious liberty from what? A glorious liberty from the dilemma of a legalistic system that kept you on the roller coaster ride of when I want to do good, evil is present with me. It is Paul's cry, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God he will. And as you come down into Romans and you see that there is a pregnant creation waiting on a glorious liberty, that we would be brought into the adoption as sons. And then he talks about the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. I will show you that that he's talking about the change from law to grace, from the body of sin, from the body of the old man, from the body of the law, to the body of Christ. (laughs) I mean, to me, I could see this so clearly as not just being something in the future, but something very possibly happening in the first century where there was a travail and transition. It was one of the greatest periods of human history when there was war and nation rising against nation, famines, earthquakes. You know, I, I, I'm not teaching on eschatology on this segment, but I want to say this as well. I really think that anybody that's a serious scholar of the Scripture can go back to the book of Revelation and see that from the opening of the sealed book, that really the book of Revelation is John's version of the Olivet Discourse. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have the Matthew 24 passage where Jesus prophesied of the end of the age. King James says end of the world, but it wasn't the end of the world. It was the Greek word age. It was the end of the age, but not the end of this age. It was the end of the old covenant age. And as you go through the book of Revelation, and the little book is sealed or or unsealed, which to me speaks of the new covenant being introduced, you will see him come down through the seals, and there are famines, there are wars, there are earthquakes, there are sun, moon, and stars darkened, moon not given its light, uh, a, a, a mighty wind blowing, death and hell coming. All of that was fulfilled in the first century, including the sun, the moon, and the stars. You say, well, how can that be? Because I got up this morning, I saw the sun, moon, and stars bow down. Well, Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Then he talks about the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned to the blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. And one of them uses the language, even as a fig tree when she's shaken, by a mighty wind. Let me tell you, the wind that blew was the wind of Pentecost, and the fig tree that it shook was natural Israel. And the sun, the moon, and the stars that were about to be removed, if you can remember Joseph's dream, he saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him. And when he told it to his father Israel, Israel knew that was a symbol of natural Israel, and the sun, the moon, and the stars being he, his mother, and the twelve tribes of Israel. And so what he's saying in Revelation and in Matthew 24 and in Acts chapter 2 is that these things are about to be shaken by a mighty wind and that there are going to be all of these earthquakes and wars, rumors of wars, famines. You can see that all through the New Testament fulfilled. And it was the birth pains 
of a God bringing about a brand new creation and a brand new world. Here's another one. This is from the Amplified Bible, Matthew 19, 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new age, that is the messianic rebirth of the world, when the Son of Man shall sit down on the throne of His glory, you who have become my disciples, sided with my party and followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. So he was talking about a messianic rebirth of the world and these twelve apostles sitting on twelve thrones. If you go back to Daniel chapter number 9, you will see that when Jesus came before the Ancient of Days, and He came on clouds to appear before the Ancient of Days, He received the kingdom. He received the honor and the power, and the books were open, and there were thrones set, and judgment was set. I submit to you that that's not out in the distant future. That's what Jesus told Caiaphas. When Caiaphas said, Tell me plainly, are you the Messiah? He said to him, And from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and sitting at the right hand of power. He quoted Daniel chapter 9 to Caiaphas to show you that the fulfillment of that and the coming of the kingdom is not somewhere in the distant future. It was about to come on the scene when he preached the kingdom is at hand. It is within your grasp. It's within your reach. And when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was given, the kingdom of God began to come in power, and they had received the first fruits of the Spirit. And since then there's an ongoing kingdom of God. And in Revelation 12 there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and she being great with child, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. This woman in Revelation chapter 12 is being pained to deliver a man-child, a company of sons of God. And in that same chapter this woman is persecuted by a flood coming out of the dragon's mouth, but she's taken into the wilderness to be fed in the wilderness for 42 months, times, times, and a half a times, which was the exact amount of time that when the Romans sieged the city of Jerusalem in somewhere around 66 AD, and the Roman army backed off for just a sudden moment and thought, they thought peace and the uninformed thought it was a time of peace and safety, but sudden destruction was about to come. But, but everybody that heard Jesus prophesy, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you know it's time to get out of Dodge. Every Christian that believed what Jesus said got up and fled the city, went into the wilderness, they went to places like Pella, hid in the caves, dens of the rock for 42 months, times, times, and a half at times because it was a messianic rebirth of the world that was coming on the scene as God was bringing sons into glory and a man-child was being born, I submit to you that that's possibly not even out in your future. It's something that's available right now. Let me just read from a few other translations, Romans 8. However, not only creation groans, we who have the Spirit as the first of God's gifts also groan inwardly. We groan as we eagerly wait for our adoption, the freeing of our bodies from sin, Romans 8.23 and another one. And not only it, but ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we continue waiting eagerly, eagerly to be made sons, that is, to have our whole bodies redeemed and set free. Uh, so here's another one. So we are waiting for God to finish making us His own children, which means our bodies will be made free. It's Paul's answer to who will deliver me from the body of this death. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails together to, 
at this moment, not only, but we ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also are groaning within ourselves. Now let me just say this to you as you're going down through, uh, there's several translations here, but let me just come into Galatians because I don't, I, want, I want to have enough time to get this. Galatians 4 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Being under the tutors and governors is people under the law. Even so, when we, when we were children, we were in bondage on the elements of the world. The elements of the world is the elements that melted with a fervent heat in A.D. 70, and it's the elements of the Old Covenant law. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive, here's that same word again used from Romans 8, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. That's the passing from Romans 7, servants, Romans 8, sons. Howbeit then, when we knew God, knew not God, we did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? He's talking about people going back under the law. You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you that you be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know how that through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus." Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that they might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail again in birth until Christ be formed in you. So here's Paul again talking about birth pains, travail, adoption, the placement of sonship, the deliverance that Paul was crying for in Romans 7, the freedom from law. And then he ends the chapter in Romans chapter number 8 by saying, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And I'll try to read this, and that's probably, that's probably about as far as we'll get in this whole, uh, in this whole teaching. But uh, as we go down through here in Romans 8, uh, it says, let me see if I can find it here. It says, God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity. He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. After God made that decision of what His children should be like, He followed it up by calling people by name. After He called them by name, He set them on a solid basis with Himself and got him established, staying with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So then, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God doesn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else that he wouldn't really freely do or give to us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare to even point a finger for the, the one who died for us, 
who was raised to life for us is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love? There's no way, no trouble, not hard times, not hatred, hunger, homelessness, bullying, threats, backstabbing, or even the worst sins of Scripture. They kill us in cold blood. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. Nothing, none of this faces us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing dead, angelic, demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We are out of time. I trust you were blessed by this. Take a moment to click that link. So an offering there through our PayPal portal, you can give through via a credit card or, or, or debit card. You could also write a check, send it to the address to come on the screen, or you could call the number that's on the screen and so seat into the ministry. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.